Here's the million dollar question. How do men like us reach our full potential and grow into the men we dream of being while taking care of our responsibilities, working, being good husbands, fathers, and still take care of ourselves? That's the question, and this podcast will help you with those answers. My name is Brent, and welcome to the Fallible Man Podcast. Welcome to the Fallible Man Podcast, your home for all things man, husband, and father. My name is Brent, and today my special guest is real estate consultant and author of Disaster to Dreams, Chris Patrick. Chris, welcome to the show. Brent, thank you so much for having me, man. I really appreciate you uh, taking the time and, uh, and getting me on your program. Oh, no, man. It's, it's good to meet you in person. Uh, I've got a chance to go through part of your book. I haven't been through the whole thing yet, but I'm looking forward to finishing it. I think you have a unique style, which makes the book more interesting. Uh, and we will get into that a little bit farther in the show. But Chris, I don't do big introductions because I get to research all my guests before they come on the show, right? So I get to read accolades. I get to look at all your different social media platforms and stuff like that. But that really doesn't tell my audience who you are. So tell us, who is Chris Patrick? Well, uh, I think the first and most important things, I'm a, I'm a husband. I've been married to my beautiful wife, Erin, for three years now. I am a father. We recently, uh, last year, adopted a baby girl, Jameson, who just turned one year old uh, this last month. So that's been a pretty cool adventure for us. I'm a serial entrepreneur. I've always been interested in creating products or services uh, that could, you know, help people and uh, try to find things to sell that can that can help people. I'm a, a bourbon drinker. I'm a Harley Davidson rider. I'm a workout fanatic. I've been uh, lifting weights for about 20 years. I've actually competed in 10 bodybuilding shows over the years, although I don't do that anymore. Get to be 52 and have a baby and uh, those things become less of a priority, I suppose. And, uh, you know, I guess, uh, and the, the last thing that I've added, as you mentioned, is I, I've become an author as of, as of last year, I wrote my first book, Disasters to Dreams. And that was a whole journey and it's on its own. And, uh, it's been quite an experience having gone through that. So I'm just an all around good guy. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I would say I'm a rebel. I'm an outsider. Uh, I'm a guy that questions everything and doesn't uh, just accept what people say is the truth until I decide for myself if that's the truth or not. Uh, but I think that's gotten me a long ways in life. So yeah, uh, snow, uh, former snowboard bum, former punk rocker of a teenage punk rock band, and a general good contributing member to society nowadays. Wow. You, we may have just become best friends, man. <laughs> you just, <laughs> well, you just checked a tattoo, lot of boxes. Tat tattoo collector as well. Oh, okay. Yeah, so you just, you just ticked a lot of boxes. It's like, oh, maybe we're related. It's, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, motorcycles, tattoos, rock. I love all genres of music, but rock and punk rock are particularly entertaining. And, you know, you, you went down a whole list there. It's like, oh, okay. And bourbon lover. Like, that, that's my dream, man. I, I love bourbon. I there's nothing just better than sitting on my back deck. And I, I like have one of those metal pans for so you can have a campfire in your yards because I live in city limits. So I light a fire, light a cigar, kick back with some bourbon and just that that's yeah, a good buddy. night right there. That's what's up. What's your favorite bourbon right now, Brent? Uh, you know, I've been drinking the Knob Creek nine year hundred proof. I, I like that. I like that's always a good one. I am a big yes. fan of bullet bourbon. I love bullet, yeah. But I, I'm I'm a bourbon drinker that thinks if if you don't want to punch somebody in the face or have sex right after you drink bourbon, you're drinking the wrong bourbon. <laughs> right? I mean, uh, since, since we're uh, going ahead and not worried about it, if you don't want to fight or fuck after you drink bourbon, you're in the wrong show, right? It's just that that's right. that's bourbon. You know, whiskey is nice. Uh, yeah. Scotch is nice if you're feeling a little more refined that night, but. Bourbon, bourbon should put that hair on your chest. You just. Yeah, and like you got to drink it straight too. Right. No ice cubes, no mixer, no nope. water, just the way the good Lord intended it right out of right. the bottle. I, I can't, I can't do it. If bourbon gets too smooth, you, you either got to like Woodenville bourbon's nice and smooth, but you got to up the alcohol content. So it's got punch to it still. Otherwise you, you might as well just be drinking like whiskey. 
So right. you got to have that little burn in the back of your throat. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I think you and I are going to get on famously with this one. So, uh, Chris, I got to ask good. you the deepest question of the show, right? And and if you can get through this one, you're you've got it made for the show. What is your favorite ice cream? You know, Brent, I, I listened to a few of your shows, and I knew this question was coming. <laughs> I knew this question was coming, so I've sort of prepared myself, and I thought, you know what? I'm going to be honest here, and I'm going to. I have a funny little ice cream story to tell you. Okay. Let me first say that I've never met a flavor of ice cream that I don't like. I like all ice cream. I'm just as passionate about cheese as I am about ice cream. For whatever reason, I love both of those. Things. Now, for ice cream, our whole family has been a huge fan of ice cream for many years, and. The story goes, we were having dinner one night, and after after dinner, my brother said, we should go out for ice cream. He said, yeah, you know, I bet I can eat more ice cream than you. And I said, I don't know, I don't know. I, I don't think you can eat uh, five Sundays. And um, so we used to go to this place, and they had the, you know, the, it was a sit-down ice cream restaurant. This is back in the, you know, late 80s, early 90s, back when they still had these. And so I challenged him to eat five Sundays of my choosing, Wow. All back to back after dinner. And he, he thought he could do it. And I said, if, if you make it, I will, I'll pay for the ice cream and I'll give you $100. If you don't make it or if you throw up or whatever, you have to pay for the ice cream. So the bet's on. So we get down there. He's loving his first two of the Sundays. You know, there are three to four scoops of ice cream and all the syrup and whipped cream and shit all over him. So he gets to two of them, three of them. He's breezing right along and he gets to four and he's, he's starting to slow down. He's getting the, the sweats a little bit and stuff like this. And we're teasing him. Hey, Matt, is that getting real sweet? How's that taste? How's oh, that gross? He gets on to his fifth one. Now, this, mind you, he's, you know, 12 to 16 scoops deep at this point, and he's pushing on to 20 scoops. And he gets about halfway through that fifth one, Brent, and he says, <laughs> he goes outside and he just loses his shit everywhere. It's just like this gray, disgusting-looking puddles of ice cream everywhere. So, yeah, I know that wasn't the story that you're probably expecting or my favorite <laughs> type of ice cream, but that's that's what came to my mind when I knew you were going to ask that question. <laughs> I used to actually cut that question out of all the podcasts, so my guests didn't know that was coming. Um, and I've had some amazing reactions where people were just like dumbfounded. Like, Wait, that that's your question? Right. <laughs> um, yeah, I used to cut it out for that reason when I released the podcast because like, now nah, I like this kind of gotcha moment, right? But, you know, ice cream's universal, so it's always fun. People got great stories or great flavors. Uh, I've been introduced to a couple of things I've never heard of. Like, I think there was burnt fig and almond. That's one of my guests. Mm. Something that's uh, some, like, luxury, you know, high-end ice cream in Sydney, Australia. So you're a, you're a Vegas guy, right? Yeah, Las Vegas, Nevada. I've been here for 20 years now. Yeah, so how do you settle? Crazy. How do you end up in Vegas? If you weren't born there, how do you end up staying in Vegas? You know, it's interesting. I had I had moved. Uh, I lived in Colorado from '91 to 2001. I was uh, I was pursuing my dream to snowboard every day, which I did. Um, I, I got to snowboard about 100 days a year for 10 years running, and I guess the the snowboarding in the cold finally ran its course. And I got tired of being cold all the time and scraping ice off the windshield and walking around in you know ice puddles during the springtime. So I thought, man, I got to move away from here. I don't want to be anywhere where it's cold. We had been coming to Las Vegas for, uh, we had a, one of our stores there was a retail clothing store that we had in addition to a tattoo shop, but we'd come to Vegas two or three times a year for their magic uh, trade shows, the conventions to, that they sold clothes. So that was really the only place I knew of that I could go to that was I thought was cool and it wasn't cold. <laughs> so I said, I'm packing up my shit and I, I did. I packed everything up and brought my uh, girl with me and my brother. And we got a U-Haul with everything we own and showed up in Las Vegas. And I didn't plan on, I mean, you never, you never know what's going to happen. You know, I didn't plan on, oh, I'm going to be here for 20 years and then go. But it's been cool. You know, it's been, it's been a ride. I, I had some, <laughs> the beginning was rough, man. The beginning, when I moved to town, it was rough. I mean, it's been great, you know, in the last seven or eight years. But those first 13 were pretty brutal. You know, I, I understand. I, uh. I've been where I am now for in Quincy, Washington for almost 15 years. And if you had told me when I moved here, I, I was staying 
more than a couple of years, I, I would have laughed you out of the place, man. The only reason I bought a house at the time because this, the prices of rentals in this pl- town just exploded overnight. Getting a, a two-bedroom apartment was the same as getting a two-bedroom house, money-wise. So my wife and I thought, well, you know, we'll, we'll buy a little house and uh, live there a couple of years, and then we can we can sell it, and that will help with the move, right? Because we were already we were planning. It's like, yeah, we'll be there a couple of years and go. Then it was, well, we'll move before we have kids. Then it was, we'll move before kids start school. And, and yeah, lo and behold, I've just managed to keep making a living here. And uh, yeah, I never plan on settling in this town. Vegas at least has some, you know, interesting attractions to it and every place does, but it's amazing where people end up sometimes with, with no intention of ever being there. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. No time, time does fly, you know, and sometimes your best made plans don't work out the way you think they're going to. In fact, rarely do they ever, but yeah, what, one of the things that attracted me to Vegas is something that I completely stay away from now, which is somewhat ironic. You know, I thought it was cool, you know, like the party lifestyle and everybody's gambling and going to strip clubs all the time. And everybody's drinking all the time. It's like a huge party, right? Mm-hmm. I thought, I want to be a part of that. That sounds killer. And like, that is the last thing we, we stay away from the strip. Nobody goes to the strip that lives here for one thing. Nobody partakes in that lifestyle. You know, it's just, that's tourists only. You know, we live in a little suburban area. You'd never even know it's Las Vegas. You know, we got horses next door. You know, the lots are big. Uh, it's kind of secluded and hidden. Um, you, you would never know it's Las Vegas. It could be anywhere USA. And it's great. I love that. I, I always crack up. I've known several people who lived in Vegas at one point or another. And they're like, yeah, you know, Vegas, uh, the strip is where you take tourists, people who live there. And I guess that's every other tourist town. I've lived in a couple of them. I used to live close to uh, Branson, Missouri. It's like, yeah, we, we didn't go to Branson except when we had company. Right. We didn't go to when I lived in uh, the West Side, we didn't go to the Puyallup Fair except for on a company. It seems like people who live by tourist attractions are like, oh, yeah, that is there. And that, <laughs> it's not where we go, but that's there. We, we can take you to that. Yeah. Yeah. We, yeah. That's the only time you go there is when you have company. And that because that's that's exactly where they want to go. We used to take people to Bass Pro. Uh, when I was little, we lived in the town where Bass Pro Sporting Goods started and their oh. flagship store is there. And like people would come visit us like, oh my God, you go to Bass Pro all the time. No, she was like, no, just <laughs> no, but we'll, sure. We'll take you there. I'm not sure what the pilgrimage is, but sure. We'll, right. we'll take you there. <laughs> so now those stores are cool, Brent. You have to admit, no, no, those they're are some cool absolutely stores. cool. But when you live in the place and watch it grow from a garage to a catalog retailer to this overgrown behemoth in the middle of town i mean they actually have there now they have uh, the wonder wonders of wildlife museum and aquarium is newer in the last 10 years there and i mean it's probably one of the top three aquariums in the united states i took my kids there two years ago it's i mean it's you can spend the day there it's an amazing aquarium we spent 10 minutes walking through the rest of the store we spent like six hours at the aquarium Right. Mm. So it's definitely, it's, it's amazing. But when you live with it, it's just like, uh, okay. I'm mm-hmm. actually coming to Vegas this spring for the first time ever. Huh. In all my life, I've traveled all over the United States. I've lived from coast to coast. I've never actually been to Vegas. Huh. Um, gambling was never an attraction for me. So I didn't know any other reason you would go there. And I'm actually coming down for a YouTube conference in the spring. I think it's yeah. I think it's the spring or early summer, so I'm I'm gonna come down and, and see Vegas through the lens of a conference. Oh, cool! Well, hit me up. We'll <laughs> we'll catch a bourbon somewhere. All right, all right. Sounds like a plan. Yeah. Yeah. So, Chris, let's uh, let's get into a little bit what you're talking about here with your book. From what I can tell, just going through that and reading some of your blogs and your YouTube videos, you are successful in your real estate holdings and in your business as a con- consultant for real estate. And uh, I see you have your own holding company even. Why Why write a book? You know, I this is something that, that popped up probably about, uh, initially probably three or four years ago. Uh, we had attended, my wife and I had attended a, a Mike Dooley event. You, if you don't know, he was, he was one of the speakers on The Secret. 
he, he teaches uh, law of attraction and things like that. And he's written probably 10 or 12 books. And I've always been a fan of his work. So we attended one of his workshops in Reno, actually. And after uh, the event where we got to meet him and everything, it was really cool. We started talking about manifesting your dreams and, you know, what it takes to come, have something come to fruition that you really want. And I was telling stories to my wife about things that had happened to me in my past and some of the obstacles that I've, you know, had to overcome and some of the times that I've hit rock bottom and stuff like that. And she said, you should write a book about that. It would be fascinating. And I could, yeah, I mean, that'd be cool. That'd be cool. I don't know what it takes to write a book, though. I've never done anything like that. So it kind of sat on the back shelf, no pun intended, for a couple of years. And I said, you know what? I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this right now because we had... Uh, Another something of a, of a serendipitous uh, event happened that kind of played right into the, the whole premise and theory of the book right in the beginning of, of me writing it. So it couldn't have been better timing. You know, I really wanted to share some of my experiences, Brent, in hopes that I could help other people that have maybe gone through some hardships or setbacks or failures or fuck ups or whatever it is. To, to overcome those and, you know, see those failures and those times you didn't get what you want as what they really are, and that's the building blocks to your success. I really thought I had a good and powerful message to share with the world, and I know there's a lot of people out there that haven't quite reached the level that they want yet. I felt like if I can show them through example the, some of the things I've done and, you know, had to overcome, then I could help them, you know, to live better lives themselves. Okay. It's fair enough. You know, the motivation behind things tells you a lot about people. And uh, we're going to dig into your book a little later in the show. I, I actually have some really specific questions about a specific part of it. Uh, so, but I want to, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. If I get too far ahead of my notes, it'll just be a hodgepodge of me sounding like an idiot. So, <laughs> you know, Everyone loves the Rags Riches story because it brings hope that all of us can someday actually reach our dreams, right? And so I love the title of your book, Disaster to Dreams, right? And you start sharing how, you know, life wasn't all roses for you to start out with. But one of the things I really picked up in, right, this can, overtone that just kept appearing in the book is you focus really heavily on adjusting your perspective, on things when you're looking at life. Can you dig into that a little bit for me? Yeah, I, I think that perspective, Brent, is probably the, the one most important thing that is holding most people back from achieving what they really want. What I mean by that is, you know, everybody's trying to pursue some goal or has some dream or some ambition or some place that they're trying to get to at all times, pretty much. You know, we all we all, it's, it's, it's almost this human nature that we are trying to get to some next level or whatever it is. When we fail to reach those goals or dreams or we have the setbacks like that, we a lot of people will tend to carry that baggage around with them, that failure around with them or that setback around and say, well, maybe, maybe I'm just not good enough to do that or maybe I'm not smart enough to do that or maybe I don't have enough money to start that company or you know, maybe it just wasn't meant to be. You know, so they start to believe these things. It's my belief that when you have these limiting beliefs that say, I can't, I'm not good enough, I'm not smart enough, don't have money. When you believe those things, those things are going to be true for you. You know, that goes with the whole uh, energy attracts like energy and, you know, the power of conscious creation, manifesting, law of attraction, whatever you want to call it. There is certainly an energy about the way the world works. And if you believe on a constant level that you're not good enough, then you're not going to be good enough. And so that's just a perspective. And realizing that everybody has these failures, everybody has these setbacks, everybody makes mistakes. But there's either something to be learned from every single mistake that you have. And sometimes there's not a lesson to be learned, but sometimes there's a particular person that you met that you would not have met had you not had that failure. Or maybe there's a particular place that you went to that you would not have gone to had you not had that particular failure. So there's always some little nugget, some little diamond that you can dig out of that dirt and use to your own benefit. And so that's, that's kind of what I mean by perspective. And it's just the way that you look at things, you know, the way you, 
your perspective will dictate what's about to happen to you. And if you can change your perspective, you can change your whole life, in my opinion. I, I would tend to agree with you on that. In fact, we're actually going to dig into chapter 12 of your book a little more in the second half of the show, uh, because I definitely had some questions about all that. Uh, I, I, like I said, I didn't get through the whole book yet, but I've definitely been cherry picking through. You, you have some great stories where you shared other people you've interviewed, but I was really interested in the chapters where you were talking specifically because there's a lot of intention behind those, right? You, you shared some amazing and incredible stories that were very impressive and inspirational, but there's a lot of intention behind the chapters where it was just you focusing on what you were trying to say. So we're, we're going to dig into chapter 12 some more in a little bit, but let me ask you a question here. One, I have to ask about changing your relationship with money as a podcaster. I, I see a lot of common themes, right? I've, I've been very blessed to be able to, uh, meet some really incredible people, authors, speakers all over the world with different dis different disciplines, different things they're sharing. But all of them that I found who have been quote unquote successful, and I use that because successful is all in the eye of beholder, right? There are some people who say you have to have a lot of money or a lot of quote unquote uh, possessions to be wealthy. There are other people who say, you know, if you have the ability to live your life, and spend your time how you want to, whether you're Jeff Bezos rich or not, you're still extraordinarily wealthy, right? People have different definitions of what success is. But people that tend to be considered successful all seem to have a very different relationship with money. And I, I can speak on behalf of all my listeners. Every Everybody wants to have a good relationship with money, right? Because we all want money. Because let's face it, in, in the not so shallow, the reality is money kind of dictates a lot in the world. It buys you time. It buys you a lifestyle you want. It buys you how you spend your time. And so you talked about having a different mindset about money and the way money works. And I've seen that as a repeated theme with other entrepreneurs and other people. Can you talk about that a little bit? Because you talk about different mindsets and about how money changes based on the way you view it. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I do mention money in the book quite a bit because that seems to be usually one of the topics that people want to discuss or need help with. Or Right. Everybody wants and, money. Yeah, yeah. And, and you're right. You know, the way the world is, you know, having at least enough money to, to do the things you want to do, that that provides you with, with the freedom to make decisions and make choices and uh, have options. And, you know, you're right. Everybody has a different definition of success, but usually money plays some role in that, you know, like you don't have to have, like you said, Jeff Bezos money to be successful, but it's going to have, it, it does play some factor. You know, the perspective of money that I noticed in myself and what I've noticed with everybody that I've either talked to or, you know, had interactions with throughout my life all leads me to kind of one, one thing. And, and let me just preface this by saying, and I mentioned this in the book too, like I said, I am in real estate. I've been doing this for eight years now. We've sold probably $150 million as a team in that eight years. So we've done a lot of transactions and having done that many transactions, we work with individuals on a daily basis with large amounts of money, right? So we get, we get an insight into their beliefs and their perspectives about money that most people will never get to see. You know, you, you know, I don't know what your, you know, your beliefs about money are, Brent, and, and uh, I don't know what some guy I just met on the street, I don't know what his beliefs are about money, but I get to see this on a daily basis through my work. So this has provided me with, a, with additional insight. And what I have seen is that uh, most people have this, what I call the, the financial death grip on their money. And that is they're, they're holding on to it so tight and they're squeezing every last nickel and they're trying to, you know, negotiate that last couple hundred dollars out of a $600,000 transaction. And the, the, they're missing the big picture by doing that. You know, when you're, when you're holding on to money so tight and you're, you have no freedom with it and no ability to buy what you want or whatever, when you're holding on to it so tight, what you're telling the universe is money is hard to come by. 
my friend, uh, his name is uh, Rich Lop. He's a pretty big YouTuber on the law of attraction. He's, he says that the universe always hears you and will always respond by saying, that is true. Here's some more evidence to support that. So if you tell the universe money is hard to come by, the universe is going to say, that is true. Here's some more evidence to support that. And you're going to continue to see that money is hard to come by. Now, if you can change your perspective and, and, and start to believe that money comes easily to me, money starts to come easily to you. It really does. You know, if you can let that last $200 request for repairs credit go on your $600,000 purchase and say, you know what? That's fine. I got a good deal on this house. I'll, I'll, I'll make it back some other time. If you can do that, you're telling the universe, hey, I don't need this $200. It's not that important because $200 comes easily to me. So that's, that's what I mean by the financial death grip and like people's perception of how hard or easy it is to, for money to come into your life. And I, I spent a great, great number of my years stressing incessantly on a daily basis about money. And I'm sure many of your listeners can relate to this. You know, you, you probably think about money 10 or 20 or 30 times a day, right? In, in some way or another. When is that next check coming? Can I pay the power bill? Uh, how close are we to the first when I have to pay rent again? Oh my God, the insurance premium is coming up. You, you think about money in some way, <laughs> dozens of times a day, I promise you. Oh, and yeah. most of those are going to be negative thoughts, almost guaranteed. They're never going to be thoughts like, oh, psh, that's no problem. I don't care what day of the month it is. I got the money for the rent. Now, you don't need to see the evidence of this before you can, you're allowed to start thinking this way. In fact, if you can start thinking this way before you see the evidence, then you'll see the evidence. That was a little bit of a long-winded answer, but it's a complicated subject. It, it is, and that's that's why I wanted to ask the question is a lot of people have a very negative outlook on money. Um, I had an experience in 2020. I realized how little I knew about finances actually, right? My, my father was not a great finance guy. He didn't know a whole lot about money. He was barely doing good to pay his bills. And so I don't blame him for not teaching me about finances, but I just, I had this dawning realization about 2020 that I, I knew nothing about finances realistically. When I went, I got an email to check on my 401k. They made some changes on my company 401k and I logged into that and realized my former company's 401k had rolled over and was held by the same group. And I was like, oh, cool. That's money's here. That's, that's good. It's in the same holder. That's a good thing, right? And then I started looking at it, and I realized it was in a uh, SPACs fund, which I had no idea what that was. And I came to find out. I was like, okay, yeah, it's been safe, but it's not making me anything. Well, this is six years after I've changed who I work for. And so for six years, I've had thousands of dollars sitting there doing nothing that was supposed to be part of my retirement. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't know that's how it worked. I, I didn't know anything about that, right? So that started a really deep quest for me to increase my financial IQ or my fi financial education. And it really, I found out how much I didn't know about this. And then I started listening to people like yourself talk about finances. And I realized how negative I was about my finances and the way I approached my finances. And it's like, you know, I was definitely, that guy is like, oh, we can't afford that. Oh, yeah, no, there's no way we're ever going to make enough of that, right? I always had this negative outlook about it, and it's something I've been trying to grow myself. That's why I wanted to ask you about it because I know so many people are in that situation where they just have this negative relationship with money. Uh, I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosawa. I don't know if you read that. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I'm just mind blown, right? This very different... Uh, if any kind of influence, I, ha I had like maybe a Dave Ramsey influence. Uh, he, a lot of churches share the Dave Ramsey experience on money. And, you know, that's very sock it away, put it away, savings account, spend minimally. And so reading Robert's book was entirely a different thing. And my mind was just blown at his, his, his like free will. I It's like, oh, it's okay. We can do that. Blah, blah, blah. It's like, wait, wait, no, you can't spend money like that. No one, you, no one can afford to spend money like that. Uh, and so part of that is just, so I've been doing research over time. And as I grow my business, right, I look at other people and I hear entrepreneur after entrepreneur talk about this difference in the mindset they have in their approach to finances. 
and how changing the way they, and so I really wanted to share that with our audience today because so many of us, you're right, live paycheck to paycheck. And just, I mean, we look at everything with a negative light. Money is a, is something we have to have, but it's not something that we like, we're, we're scared of it. We're afraid it's going to go away. And I don't understand if there's science behind it. I don't understand if there's religion behind it, but legitimately the people I see doing well financially, doing well with the money they have, whatever level that is, are the people who develop a healthier relationship with the way they view money. Much like people, the way people have a relationship with food they eat, right? Some people struggle with their weight and it's because they have an unhealthy relationship with food, right? I, I don't understand how it works. I honestly don't. Uh, I'm a Christian. I don't necessarily, you know, I was raised in the church. I don't necessarily believe in manifest destiny and all, but at the same time, I can't deny what I see as far as this law of attraction in the way someone takes a look at their finances. So thank you for sharing that. Uh, it's, it's in your book, but I know it's not the major focus of your book, but I read that and it's like, Ooh, we need to talk about this because so many men need help in this because so many of us are just raised with a negative relationship to finances. Now, guys, we are digging into just the tip of the iceberg. We are so much more to go, and we're going to continue on with Chris. In the second half of the show, we're going to dig deeper into this book, Disasters to Dreams. But right now, we're going to roll to our sponsors, and we will be right back with more from Chris. I'm calling on all men right now to stand up and stand against this horrific crime. It is estimated that over 300,000 children are being sex trafficked in the United States alone every single day. I want you to get on your social media. I want you to follow savinginnocence.org or fightforme.net. Both of these charities are working to end child trafficking in the United States and abroad. You can donate at www.thefallibleman.com shop and buy our inhuman trafficking merchandise. And all proceeds will be given indefinitely to savinginnocence.org. You can also go to www.savinginnocence.org slash donate and donate directly to Saving Innocence. Men, it is time for us to fight and stop this horrible thing known as human trafficking. Guys, welcome back. We're here with Chris Patrick discussing his new book, Disastrous of Dreams, and so much more than just this book. We are going to get into so much in this half of the show. We talked early on, and we've talked about finances. We talked about a little bit about who Chris is. We're going to dig into his book a little bit. We're going to dig into his life a little more as a husband and his father as well. So, guys, be sure and strap in. This is a great, great conversation. Go back and catch the first half of the show if you missed it, and let's get back into it with Chris. What in the world? My controls aren't working all of a sudden. I have a little control pad down in my left hand, Chris, and it just... For some reason, it's not talking to my computer all of a sudden. I don't know why. Oh, no worries. No worries. <laughs> so, Chris, what purchase of $100 or less in the last year that you made has had the biggest impact on your life? Purchase of $100 or less. Oh, shoot. My AirPods were pretty handy, although I don't know if they were less than 100 bucks. They were probably right around that. That changed every, I got rid of the cords, you know, I was able to connect to Wi-Fi on all these different devices. That was pretty cool. Uh, but I just don't know if they were less than a hundred bucks. They may have been slightly over that, but I'm going to go with AirPods. Okay. You know, AirPods have legitimate uses. I, uh, I have a deep appreciation for quality sound as a, as a podcaster, but also like I, I discovered the joy of audiobooks. Uh, 2020 was a big changing year. And I, I told you a little bit about that. Before the break, 2020 had a lot of implications for me as I sought to learn things, as I sought to grow financially, like is my understanding. It was like, well, how do I fit that in? So I actually got into audiobooks for the first time and thought, wow, I've been missing out. <laughs> they're, they're, I, I've loved reading for a long time, but you know, quality headphones, listening to things while I walk and stuff has been a huge game changer for me. So I totally understand. I'm not an Apple guy, although I'm on an Apple computer now. I have an Android phone, so you know I don't know what AirPods roll in, in, but we'll take it. You know that's a quality to your life. Yeah, yeah, it does. And you know what? Uh, audiobooks are great. Uh, 
except I found a couple of times where I, I read a book and I really enjoyed the book. Mm-hmm. And then I went back and I listened to the audio book and it was even the author, you know, doing the monologue. And I was, but I didn't like his voice. <laughs> and so it ruined it for me. Like I love the reading the physical book, but then when it came time to listen to it, I, I didn't like it because I didn't like his particular voice. So it can backfire if you don't like the the, the commentator. <laughs> that that's true. I found I actually I prefer the audiobooks where the authors do their own. Yeah. Because they understand where that voice inflection needs to come in to make the point that they, they how they really felt about when they write it, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but that is quite an undertaking. Is, is there an audiobook in the future for Disastrous Dreams? Yeah, I mean, uh, if, if if it's something that's in demand, uh, I'll certainly do it. I think that I, I would probably want to do it myself, you know, just like you said, you know, where the, the highlights and the lowlights need to be. And um, nobody else is really going to understand your words better than, than you. So Absolutely. I think I'd probably go ahead and pursue that at some point. Yeah. Okay. So I love the reoccurring piece in each of your chapters about what about you? It is something I've, I've read a lot of books, Chris. I've I mean, I have a stack of books behind me from authors I've interviewed, but even before that, I grew up in a family that reads. Um, so I've been, books have been a part of my life. I got bookshelves all over my house. But I've never seen, I've seen some authors ask a couple of questions at the end of a chapter, but I've never seen an author who focused so much on each chapter, each point you drive home with this section in your book about what about you and really press into relating what you've shared to your readers. Why did you choose this with your book? Well, you know, I really wanted it to be a reader focused and a reader forward and provide as much, as much benefit as I could for the reader. That was at the top of my list. When I set out to do this is I want to provide as much potential benefit and value as I can for the people that read this. So, you know, I've, I've heard it described as a, a self-help book disguised as a memoir and, you know, and, you know, I'm not somebody famous or anything like that. So no one, you know, if uh, Tom Cruise writes a memoir, he's going to sell a million copies, but I'm not Tom Cruise. So, you know, I need to provide value over just explaining here, this is what happened in my life. Right. So uh, I wanted to use, like, like I said, examples from things that I've been through and then turn it back on the reader and say, now, what about you? What about this period in your life? What can you look back on? you know, some incident or some failure that you had, what, and what can you take out of that? So I wanted to be really specific and, and call them out on at the end of each chapter. And, um, I, cause I just felt like that would be the most helpful thing to do for the reader. You know, I, I, it's, it worked. It, it totally worked. As I was reading through the parts of your book, I, like I said, I've gotten through several chapters and I skipped a couple chapters because I wanted to focus on what you were writing specifically I'm going to go back and read the other ones later, but you got to that. What about you part? And there were a couple of chapters, man, that it was just like, oh, wait, wait, you want me to actually apply what I just read? There's an honesty to that conversation. I'm not sure I'm ready to have in a couple of those chapters. Uh, and so, I mean, that was, that was as a reader, an incredible experience for me because it, it really made me uncomfortable in a couple of spots. Right. I do my best to be honest with myself, but sometimes we still manage to patch in some lies to ourselves. So it was, uh, I thought it was just incredibly great and great idea, uh, slightly uncomfortable every now and then, but an incredible idea because so many times you read something and, and it's easy to like read something and put it down. Oh, that was a pretty good book. Yeah. Oh wait, you're going to call me out at the end of every chapter and be like, "All right, we talked about it. Now, now let's like take this to heart. Let's let's bring this deeper to you." Um. So well done, sir. That's oh, thank you, thank you. No, I I feel like that's the only way to really, and I'm glad you felt uncomfortable, Brad, because you should. You know, it's hard to dig through some of the shit in your past. It really is. You know, a lot of people just rather bury it or put that skeleton in the closet and never thinking about it again, but it's important to your progress to move forward, to really dig through that stuff, you know, with a a fine tooth comb, if you have to, and find out what is the benefit? Why did that happen? Is there some responsibility that I need to take for something that happened? Or do I need to simply take responsibility for how I react to that situation? You know, there's going to be something in there and it can be painful to dig through there. So I'm glad you said that it made you feel uncomfortable. 
Um, it's not my intention to make people feel uncomfortable, but if, if that can help you to live a better life moving forward, then I think it's worth it. I, I think every now and then we need to feel uncomfortable, to be honest. Uh, comfort, I, I forgot, There's. I'm sure there's an eloquent, eloquent quote, but you know, your comfort is the, is the enemy of growth. It really is. We, we get comfort and we get compl- comfortable, we get complacent and, and we stop growing right? It's way too easy to just stay where you are when you're comfortable. Absolutely. Absolutely. And to quote the book, and this is not probably an elegant quote, but I said that the good shit is just on the other side of the walls of your comfort zone. Say so that that's eloquent to me. I, it is eloquent. Yeah. But, but you know, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm the tattooed biker guy who uh, likes to kick things up a notch. So someone saying it in a different way would not necessarily communicate to me as a person for sure yeah no i I appreciate it and and you know what that's kind of one of the reasons that i wrote it in the style that i did this is just the way that i talk Mm -hmm. and it's written in a very conversational tone so that it can resonate with the people that will that maybe they talk that way or they think that way you know not everybody you know when when you're talking to your buddies at the bar over a couple beers you're gonna you're gonna say things that you wouldn't necessarily say in church or that you wouldn't say in a business meeting but that's where the real information comes from. You know, those deep conversations. There you go. <laughs> that's where the real stuff is, 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 is those interactions, you know. You loosen up over a couple of beers or whatever, then that's when you start getting the, the good stuff. So I wrote it in a way that is hopefully relatable to a certain... Uh, yeah, I, I realize that not everybody's going to get it and they're going to say, oh, there's too many curse words for me, which there's less than 1% curse words in the entire book. So, you know, don't think that it's over the top. <laughs> But I will lose some people for for that. But I, you know, it's other people. It's going to be it's going to resonate with, and that's important to me. Well, and that's I'm I'm enjoying this because this is this is my goal with the fallible man, right? I want to have those uncomfortable uncomfortable conversations. I want to have those barstool conversations that it, it takes a beer or two or a drink or two before you're starting to loosen up with your buddies and have real talk, right? We're all good at the go to work nine to five. Talk to your boss and your coworkers. Be politically correct. Uh, make sure we don't say something that ends us up in front of HR for sexual harassment or something stupid, right? That's the world we live in at this point where everybody is walking on eggshells all the time. But those conversations are not moving us in a positive direction. And so that that is a goal here. I want a conversation where you can sit down and have a beer with your friends and be like, dude, do you hear that guy? That's uh. I don't know what's going on with him, but it's kind of weird. It kind of struck a chord, right? Uh, I want real people to have real conversations here. So I'm loving the way you wrote the book. It gets through to people at a way that, can I use the word hoity-toity? And the, the hoity-toity books don't, sure, right? Yeah. Because there's, there, there's those of us who need reality. We need real individuals, not polished, posh, fake individuals. So I, I think your book is delivering really well on that. Oh, thank you very much. I, I appreciate that, Brent. And that that's something too that I think is important is is being your authentic self. If you're going to succeed in this world and whatever your definition of success is, you need to be authentic. You know, you, you could have reached some level but be fake about everything and you're not going to feel it in your soul that you've really gotten there because you didn't get there on your terms you know if you can get there on your terms and be authentic about the way you've done it then you're going to really feel that uh sense of accomplishment and pride when you do get to where you're going now in chapter two you were talking about something i really appreciated was with your dad you learned to celebrate the little things right and that's actually where i picked up on you being a bourbon lover uh like myself is you talked about your dad celebrating the little things and the value that brought to you as a person, right? Later in your adult life, as you move forward, uh, that brought a great deal of value in your life because it made you celebrate the little wins. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so I think we we often get so caught up in trying to chase the next goal or the next dream or anything that you know we kind of have our blinders on and we never for lack of a better term, stop and smell the roses or whatnot, you know. We have to we have to enjoy the journey just as much as the destination because as soon as we get to our destination, we're going to find another destination that we need to get to. So it's really, life is just a series of journeys from one destination to the next. 
And we really need to just enjoy the ride, enjoy the trip, because the, the trip is never going to end. You know, you're, a lot of people say, oh, well, I'm trying to get to this goal right here. And as soon as I do, I'll be happy. Then I'll be happy. As soon as I make 100 grand a year, then I'll be happy. <laughs> as soon as I buy that boat, then I'm going to be happy. I'm not going to be happy until then, but when I, as soon as I get that boat, then I'm happy. And then you get the boat and you're like, well, now I need a, a trailer and a car to pull it with or whatever it is. As soon as you get there, you're going to find something else that you need to. So life is just a series of these journeys trying to get from one destination to the next. But we really have to stop and enjoy that journey. And then celebrating the little wins by having something nice for yourself, whether that's a glass of bourbon or a donut or you know, going out for a meal, celebrate the little wins as part of enjoying the journey. And that we're going to get down to the end of this, man. And if you haven't enjoyed the journey, you're not going to have enjoyed your life. Right. I think a lot of people miss that. Uh, I'm not sure there's an end to the journey. Right. I, I have no. a T-shirt I sell that says only dead things don't grow. And, you know, it's it's a continual move forward. And so if, if we wait for the end, I, I think we're kind of screwed on that. Uh, I, I think you have to, and, and that's one of the reasons I actually stopped. So as you can imagine, right, I know with being an entrepreneur and a real estate consultant and all your other business that you're doing, now you're an author and you're doing book tours and conversations like this, right? Life gets busy, plus you're a husband and a father. And so, you know, life, I, I can't imagine, just life gets crazily busy Taking the time to learn to celebrate small wins was a big growth moment for me. I told you earlier that, you know, a good night for me, I love to sit on my back porch and build a fire in my little fire pit, smoke a cigar, enjoy a little glass of bourbon. And that is my time out to go, I'm going to breathe. I'm going to relax. I'm going to be here in this moment. I'm not going to worry about my business. I'm not going to worry about going to work. I'm going to trust that my family is taking care of it at the moment to the best I can be. And I'm going to take 30 minutes and just be me 30 minutes and just enjoy the quiet, enjoy the quality of the bourbon or the cigar. And, you know, I'm going to watch my daughters play in the backyard and just be happy in the moment. Now that was a huge growth moment for me. Um, so I, I think is really important guys. That's early in the book, right? There's a lot of value to this. So be sure and catch that as you're going through. It's a great story. He talks about his dad. Now I will ask, cause this is a good crossroad for that. You are a husband and a father, right? You have a successful business or two or three, depending on how you look at it. You're now doing book tours and stuff like that. How do you make sure that you are providing time for those relationships that are the foundation, I assume, of your life. Yeah, it's it's been a challenge, you know, and and this is some of this is new to me. You know, I've only been a father for one year now. So it's, Congratulations. it's been quite a, oh, thank you very much. Thank you very much. She just turned one uh, last month. So um, and again, I'm you know, I'm, I'm 52. So you know, I'm not a 25 or 30 and, you know, having kids. So I kind of had been set in my, you know, I, I had my freedoms before for a long period of time. And now uh, my time constraints are, you know, I, I have to divvy up my time a little bit more. So it's been, it was a little bit of a challenge at first, you know, there's a, always a transition period when you're having some, uh, something major life event uh, come into your life like that. But um, it's just prioritizing, you know, what's, what's important. And at the end of the day, you know, you we have to know that relationships and love are really the most important things that there are in this world. And that, you know, making a, a, another business or making an extra $50,000, those things aren't going to mean anything at the end of the day, at the end of the, at the end of the, the road here. The thing that we're going to look back on the most is, you know, our relationships and, and the love and the joy that we experienced in our life. So knowing that ahead of time, and being able to prioritize those things, uh, I think has helped me a lot in, in making the transition uh, into being a father. But I've had, uh, you know, I've been with my wife for six years now. We've been married for three. And uh, she's been a hugely helpful in the understanding 
you know, I mean, I had to write the book, you know, that, that, t- that took a whole year to do that. And I was writing the book while Jameson was growing up. So it was, a, it was a challenge. It was a challenge, but I, I got to thank my wife so much for, you know, being so supportive and understanding of the whole process. And guys, we, uh, this is a question I like to ask businessmen because it's right. When we get to the base of it, this is a place where all men connect. I, I had a coworker who, when I first met him, we, we just didn't click at all. And the difference was age and experience, right? I was already married. I had children and he was still a young 20 something dating somebody, but nothing serious. Right now, our relationship uh, as coworkers grew from two different companies. We ended up in two different companies together and over the course of seven years or more and to watch the change in his life and the change in our relationship as he became a father, right? After they got married and he became a father, first he had a boy and then he had a girl and having that girl changed him so radically. Uh, like it was, it was almost talking to a different person. Right. But this is a place where all men come together. We all have different jobs. We all have different professions. But this is a place where all men can come together is, you know, how do we handle our personal lives? Do we have girlfriends? Do we have wives? Do we have children? You know, this is a place where we all connect at a very basic level. And no matter whether you're a, you know, CEO, high power CEO or you're a construction worker, this is a reality for all of us who choose to have children or choose to get married or whatever, even pursue healthy relationships. So it's always interesting to see how people deal with that in their life. I know it's a very difficult balance for me being a full-time employee and trying to start a business on my own. Uh, you know, I schedule time in guys. We dove into this deeply with Raj Subramayar. So that video will be oh, bad at this camera thing over here. Uh, if you guys want to check that out, after you finish watching this one now be sure and do this good social media thing you guys know i hate this portion of the show but like subscribe do all that crap go over there are going to be links for chris's youtube channel he has a youtube channel so if you're watching on youtube it's a really easy jump over to his channel he also has a blog and a website we'll have links for all that stuff down in the show notes and in the description of the video now chris in chapter seven you started to share advice on the idea of taking inventory and it really resonated with me because I've had two fairly severe back injuries now. And, uh, I'm, I, I went snowboarding once cause my friend, he was like a big snowboarder. So I was like, yeah, I'll try that out. That was a really bad day. I made it down the mountain six times and didn't die. So I'm counting that as a win. Uh, and I got a lot of sympathy for my girlfriend for the next week as I was laid up on the couch, beat to crap. So that was a nice <laughs> part of it, but I, I really stunk at snowboarding, but you had a pretty, pretty severe injury, uh, as far as like in the moment, right? I don't know how severe it really was, but it was more than enough to get your attention. And you talked about how it made you take inventory or take stock of life. Can you share a little bit about that? Yeah, so just to kind of summarize, and this is in the book, but just to, to, to briefly go over what you were mentioning. So I did have a, a pretty bad snowboarding crash, and I think it was in 2000, where I hit a steel lift tower going just about as fast as you can go on a snowboard. Oh, wow. Sorry. Yeah, so <laughs> I, uh, it was a really a flat, light day, and that, that means it's like overcast conditions, so you can't see that well. And uh, I was I, I landed a jump, and I was hauling ass and I was going over the top of these ruts uh, from a traverse coming in and so I couldn't turn my board for fear of catching these ruts and I was just going at light, lightning speed and I was kind of staring at the ground because I w- didn't want to catch these ruts. The next thing I knew there's a lift tower in front of me. I saw it at the last second. I threw my board up at it and it broke my board in half and I, the result was a horrible back injury. And the only thing I remember was a guy that was on the lift tower or on the, on the chair above me. He said, take inventory, meaning like collect yourself, see what you got and, you know, get your ass to the bottom of the hill and, you know, see if you can survive this. And I thought, you know what, that is, that is really profound in that when you've, you know, you feel like you've hit rock bottom or you just really gotten beat up 
you know, you got to stop and take stock of what you have left, you know, because sometimes it doesn't seem like you have much and you've, you know, hit a place where it's, it doesn't seem like there's any way out of it, but you've got something left. You've got whatever it is, you got to take inventory of what you got left and pick up those pieces and put them back together and try to get yourself, you know, back on the mend again, whether that's physically or in a financial situation or whatever it may be. So I thought it was a pretty uh, fitting title for that chapter. And uh, I could really use that to relate to, you know, other events in people's lives. I, uh, I, I fractured my spine twice now in, in separate injuries and in almost 20 years apart. And so you, you talked about that. And like I said, I, I was definitely not graceful, dude. It, it was, it was disgraceful to admit how bad the snowboarding I tried to do was, <laughs> but I, I, cannot even imagine hitting hitting a lift rack it just though those towers are you know they they build those super solid so like my, my spine hurts just thinking about that but <laughs> yeah. i really I like mean, the idea of taking inventory and digging in yeah just you just sometimes you just got to pick up the pieces you know whatever those pieces are pick them up because you'll find that you have something left if you're alive enough to pick up the pieces and even think to take inventory, then you've got something left that you can build back up from. Okay. It's good advice for sure. Now in, in chapter 12, you dug into, you called it manifest destiny. I'm not a huge believer. In fact, I actually have a shirt uh, that I sell that says manifestation all like in, in just a row down the front of the shirt. But it came out of one of my early interviews where I, in passing, I was like, well, you know, I'm great in the moment. And my guest was like, see, that that's manifestation right there. Because you believe in your head, you believe, right? So when you have the title, I was like, okay, I got, I got to read through that. I got to understand this chapter. Because, you know, what I read about you so far, what I had seen on your social media and your website was like, okay, this is a businessman. This is a man who you know, has had a, a serious life. So the idea of digging into manifest destiny seemed a little, honestly, just, just off brand for you. Right. And then I started reading it because it, it dry, I see that crap on YouTube all the time. People are like, oh, just will it into happening and everything will be good. And it's like, ah, you guys are all idiots. But I started digging into your chapter and it, it sounded very different than what I hear on YouTube as far as manifest destiny. It sounded a lot more like taking ownership of your life. Can, can you explain a little bit about that chapter? Yeah, no, I think that's a great way to summarize it, Brent. Um, and yeah, I, there, there was a time when, uh, during that chapter, when I talk about how I made the conscious decision to tell myself that money comes easily to me now. And ever since that day, I promise you it has ever since I started telling myself that and believing that now that's just not, it's, it's not all sunshine and rainbows and unicorns and all that shit. You can't just do that and you're going to be successful. No, you actually do need to take responsibility for not only the way you think and the beliefs that you have, but your actions too. You know, this isn't going to just happen out of willing it into happening. You got to take massive action on it too. And, the, the way they work together is you take massive action on something, but you believe that it's going to work and you believe that it's possible for you, you have a hell of a lot better chance of it actually happening. I mean, you could work your ass off at something, but if you don't actually believe that it's going to work, it's probably not going to work. So I like to use a combination of working my ass off and believing that it's going to work to create things that I, that I want for myself. And that's kind of what I was able to summarize, I believe, in, in that chapter. Okay. Like I said, it seemed entirely off-brand from what I had learned about you thus far. And then I, I was digging into it and was like, okay, the the title is not entirely accurate with what he's trying to say here. You know, he's not trying to sell. And I just, I'm, I get really irritated with people on social media who are like, if you just believe, man, you're going to, your money will just come to you and you will be successful. You can just will it to happen. I, I completely understand having to develop belief in what you're doing, right? Put, put actual confidence and belief behind your actions. 
that makes so much more sense to me. Um, but it's like, no, that can't be what he's talking about. Not after all the rest of this. So thank you for digging into that with me. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you know, and I think just to, to, to touch on that, I think it's, it's, it's just as much about res- responsibility. The responsibility of perceiving something the right way, you know, whether something bad happened that was your fault or wasn't your fault. If it was your fault, you got to take responsibility for that and own up to it and fix it next time. If it wasn't your fault, the responsibility now becomes, how do I react to that? Right. Maybe it wasn't my fault that, uh, you know, whatever happened, but my responsibility now is how do I, how do I react to that event and how do I move forward and take something positive out of that? So that's, that kind of all works together for me. It's not just, like I said, it's not sunshine and rainbows and willing things into existence. That, that shit doesn't work by itself. <laughs> okay. You can use some of that with your responsibility of taking the massive action and that will help you get there. Okay. Uh, that's, that makes sense. Yeah, no. And, and that's, that's what I got from the chapter. It was just that initial, it just didn't, didn't fit with what I read so far. It's like, Wait, wait, where, where are we segueing to here in this, in this writing manifest destiny, right? And you know what? I'm, I'm sure there's somebody out there who would tell me I'm just a caveman and stupid for not believing in it, but I, maybe it's the way it's been presented, but yeah, that's just automatic turnoff. So thank you for expounding on that a little bit with our audience. Uh, I, I'm a big believer in hard work and focusing on believing in where you're going and putting in the effort to get there and owning, I think it's really important what you said about, you know, it, it may be outside of your control how this happened, but you have the control and the responsibility of how you react to it, right? I, I think we're big drivers in our own lives that way. So Chris, what is next for you, right? I'm sure your book tour is going to continue. You're going to do more podcasts, but what is next for Chris Patrick? What is next? Well, I'd like to enjoy the holidays a little bit here. It's been a very hectic year, as you can probably imagine, with the baby and the book and the real estate business. I would like to enjoy the holidays here and just kind of coast a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the the marketing of the book is uh, is a whole other animal as well. You know, I, the, the writing of it was challenging and uh, it was a long journey, but uh, now it's on to the marketing of the book. You know, got to get the got to get the book into the hands of, of the readers so that we can help. So um, that's kind of my my goal right now is to just focus on the marketing of that. Um, we are we're also working on a, a video course. It's going to be uh, available through the website, and that's more of a like an in it's the book uh, a more in depth version of the book uh, presented in video format. So I'm working on a course as well, and hopefully that'll be sometime around uh, summer of next year that that'll be ready. But I'm just going pedal to the metal with all the book marketing and uh, trying to get it out there in the hands of as many people as I can. Okay. Now, Chris, we know I've got your website right here. And if you guys are on the audio, that is chrispatrick.net. Super easy to understand and find. Look at the title of the episode. It's really easy. But it's also, there's a link in the description for it, guys. Chris has his website, chrispatrick.net. Is this the best place to find you? Where can people find you to find out more, to dig in more with you? Yeah, this is actually the best place right here, Brent, chrispatrick.net. It's got uh, links to all my social accounts. So whether it's uh, YouTube or Instagram or Pinterest, uh, I I do uh, a lot of blogs on the website itself. I also do a lot of YouTube videos on, on that channel. Um, and as you can see right here, there's actually, we're actually giving away a, a free downloadable guide from Roadblock to Rockstar. Just uh, fill in your name there and we'll send you a cool PDF of uh, 10, 10 steps to 10, oh, holding you back from Rockstar status, I think is really cool. So yeah, it's just one central location, chrispatrick.net. You can pretty much find links to buy the book and everything from there too. All right. Now, Chris, we're talking and you know my audience. So Right here, right now, you have a foundational group of men who listen and follow this podcast and the stuff we do. What would you most like to share with them? What would I most like to share? Well, 
I think that you you can do anything that you want. Um, you're not limited by time or money or you know freedoms. You have the ability to get to any goal that you really want if you're willing to do the work to get there. Don't forget the most important things. Like I said, love and relationships. You know, make that your your top priority. Enjoy the journey. You know, like I said, it's a never ending series of going from one destination to the next. So you might as well just enjoy the journey. All right, Chris, thank you for taking the time to hang out with us today. Guys, be better tomorrow because what you do today, as always, and we'll see you on the next one. This has been the Fallible Man Podcast, your home for everything man, husband, and father. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a show. Head over to www.thefallibleman.com for more content and get your own Fallible Man gear.